The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you this morning. My name is Tim Cartwright. I'm the junior high and local outreach pastor here at Temple Bible Church. And uh, we're excited about a few things this morning. One of them is what you see on the screen. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be celebrating uh, the life of Martin Luther King and the message that he brought to this country, which is a message of unity. And so we're going to meet at the uh, downtown uh, Temple Police Station. Uh, we'll march a couple blocks up to Town Square and just have a big celebration together. We'll have uh, inflatables for the kids, face painting. We'll have some uh, food trucks. We'll have some uh, special speakers and some music as well. So we're excited about that event. So if you're off, if you're able, even to come out for a little bit, we'd love to see you there. Uh, with us uh, tomorrow at one o'clock. The other thing we're excited about is we have my friend Shane Smith here with us today on the stage. And uh, we, we heard from Austin Skaggs last week, uh, who's up for uh, being on the elder board, and Shane's up as well. So uh, we asked him to come share uh, his story uh, with us this morning. So please uh, welcome Shane. Good morning. Thank you for, uh, again, like Tim mentioned, my name is Shane Smith. Uh, thank you for taking a few minutes with me this morning. Um, love to start off by introducing my family. Um, first off, my bride of almost 17 years, Karen Smith. Uh, some of you ladies may know her from uh, Bible study. She helps a lot with the women's, uh, and Amy with the men, women's ministry, uh, and, and even taught this last semester. We have three children, uh, Bella, who's 11, Gunner, who's 10, and then Callie is 7. So uh, we have a, a fun house. And then we've got uh, our two newest additions. You can see up there are our two pups. So our dog of 14 and a half years passed this last summer. And so we, we, uh, we decided to get a new one, but instead we got a new two. And so we've got Ruger and Scout. Uh, not pictured here. We have uh, my father-in-law actually lives with us. He had a stroke several years back. And so for the last couple of years, he lives with us. and We helped take care of him. And then we've got two horses. One of them's pregnant, so we'll have three, and then we've got two cats. So Karen call, or excuse me, I like to call it the Smith Family Farm. Karen calls it the Smith Family Zoo, so it is quite, quite the, the crowd. So uh, now my story starts off like over, you know, 50% of American families today. My parents divorced at a young age, and so uh, I live with my mom. Uh, my mom helped raise me. I would go visit my dad's on the weekends and every other or excuse me, every other weekend and then some during the summer. Um, and my mom did a great job of instilling morals and values in my life, but uh, we didn't go to church. So I, didn't, I wasn't raised as a, as a believer or didn't become a believer until later on in life. Uh, my, um, my mom remarried when I was 11, and my stepdad stepped into my life and, again, kind of continued that, taught me work ethic, some trades, um, but it wasn't in, in, until my uh, freshman year in college, I ended up actually going to Abilene Christian University, and how a non-believer goes to a, a, a Christian university, that's another story, but um, it's just by God's providence. And so some upperclassmen actually took me under their wing, myself and some other freshmen, and they just mentored us. And so they would have us over for dinner, um, and one, you know they just loved on us. And one of the things they did is they shared the gospel. So my freshman year, fall semester, uh, I accepted Christ and became a believer. So um, fast forward a little bit. In my sophomore year, I was actually on a spring break, what they call a spring break campaign. It was actually a little mission trip that ACU does during the um, spring breaks. 
and I met my wife, or excuse me, my met Karen, who would one day be my wife. I met Karen, and um, and we were actually, believe it or not, um, door knocking, sharing our testimony, sharing the gospel with unbelievers, and so we really got to know each other through that. Um, so we dated uh, off and on actually for the next couple of years. Uh, through that, I ended up going to transfer to Texas A&M, and uh, all right, I just made some lifelong friends and a bunch of enemies. So there you go. Um, so I ended up going to A&M, and um, uh, it was there that actually Karen and I got married um, while I was still in school. And once I graduated, we moved back to Abilene uh, for for my wife to finish up, Karen finish up. And while we were there, we really got plugged in with the church there, Beltway uh, Park. And that was a really probably the first time we really just grew as a couple. They, you know, they met some friends there and some of the leadership really just invested in our lives and in our marriage and us as believers. And so that was just a huge part of our, of us growing. While we were there though, we, we really felt called to move back to Central Texas. Um, we had a great, I had a great job. We had a great church family. We had great friends, but we just felt like we were supposed to be back here. Uh, my, my in-laws had just uh, moved here, retired here, and we felt like we were supposed to be closer to them. And so we picked up, I mean, we left everything. Um, we didn't, believe it or not, I didn't even have a job when we moved in here, which I don't know if I do that today, but, you know, that was just my, um, that was kind of our first step of, in a sense, stepping out of the boat, um, you know, where God had called us. And through that, he's just provided uh, providentially. And, and it's been a, a great ride. Um, we have now been at Temple Bible Church for going on nine years, and um, we've been involved in small groups. Um, you know, Karen's helped a ton with uh, the women's ministry. You know, we've even had some opportunities to step into uh, some parachurch. We help, help out a lot with uh, Young Life or having to pass. And, um, and for the last four years, it's been a blessing to serve as y'all's, uh, one of y'all's deacons. So we thank you for the opportunity there. And so, you know, my testimony um, isn't about me. It's, and it, just like, you know, all believers, uh, our testimony is about what Christ and what Christ has done. And, you know, my story starts off, and I'm, I, I was blind. I was dead in my transgressions, and I was, uh, I was a broken vessel. And it's through Christ that I've been set free, and it's through him that I have been remade, and I am new. And so, if you're not a believer today, I pray that that would be your story. Um, that you would be made new and that you would share the same testimony that we all do as believers. And Shane, I got it. I think so. Yeah, we're good. I uh, appreciate Shane and uh, his family, what they mean to the church. Uh, I'd like to pray for him right now if we could. Dear God, we just uh, thank you so much for Shane and, and Karen and their family. Lord, I just pray that you give them strength uh, as he uh, helps lead this church, Lord, give uh, the elders wisdom and just allow him and his wife and his family to continue uh, just to be a crucial part in this, this body of Christ. Uh, I pray you give them extra measure of strength and, and wisdom uh, as they continue to care for his stepdad, Lord, that you'll just bless them and that ministry they have up to him and encourage them today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right, so... Uh, if Gary were here introducing me, he'd be saying something about the Eagles and winning a game, and then he'd downplay it because we only won by five. But I don't care really what he has to say about that. But uh, I'm just excited for a W. I thought we were going to lose, so whatever. Uh, yeah. What, what was that? I just heard someone yell. All right, okay. So.
I, I wish you guys would yell more like what well, I'm actually preaching. You know, you yell about sports and stuff and A&M and all that junk. Uh, but, you know, you're allowed to, you know, scream out, you know, some good stuff when it comes to the Word of God, too. Uh, not to call you out or anything. Um, so, anyway, we're in our second week of the Gospel of John series. Uh, Gary uh, did a great job helping us kind of see the background of the Gospel of John. Gives us an understanding of, of what was happening, who the writer was, and what kind of brought this Gospel together. And uh, one of the details that he brought out to our attention was the fact that the author of this book, John, um, kind of used this book, this gospel, as a lawyer's brief. So it was kind of like this lawyer's brief where he was kind of laying out witnesses, laying out evidence for Jesus, laying out all these different facts that he experienced, that those around him experienced when it came to the Messiah. And so it's important for us to see that what we're going to look at today and who we're going to look at today is one of his star witnesses, uh, just like any good lawyer would have. Matthew 11, 11 says there's no greater witness than the man we're going to discuss today in this passage, John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, in all three synoptic Gospels, the record of Jesus' ministry begins with John the Baptist. It begins with a story of John the Baptist, the forerunner uh, to Jesus. So it's important for us to identify this man, understand who he was. So we're going to be in John 1 most of the time. We'll flip around a little bit to the Gospels and back in the Old Testament a little bit, but we'll be primarily in the book of John uh, chapter 1. So this morning we're going to look more closely at John's star witness. Uh, Today we'll look at the man, the mission, and the memory of John the Baptist. The man, the mission, and the memory of John the Baptist. So before we get into the passage, we, we really need to look at the man. Who was he? Who was John the Baptist? And so if I had all of you raise your hand, if you have any ideas of who John the Baptist was, you'd fire up your hand and, and maybe uh, you'd say things like uh, he was Jesus' cousin. He was, he was the one who, who Pastor Dave spoke about a few weeks ago when, when Mary heard that she was going to have the Messiah that she left town, got out of town, and she went to Elizabeth. And as soon as she arrived, Elizabeth has John the Baptist in her belly. She walks up and John the Baptist, you know, has a dance party in her womb, right? And he's jumping for joy at the just the presence of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't even out of the womb yet. So he's a cousin of Jesus. He's also a rugged man. Some of the pictures that float around your in your head probably float around in mine too. You don't want to be in my head too long, but uh, those pictures might be the same where that picture of a rugged man, you know, he's described as wearing camel skin and eating locusts and, 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 and drinking honey and, and have this picture of a man. I kind of picture him in when he's described like that, like Charlie Brown, like pig pen, you know, pig pen, you know, he walk around with like a cloud of dust around him and like, you know, I had the flies in, you know, and you got you got John the Baptist walking around, flies buzzing around his head. He was a, he, what we, when we get in our church stories, especially when we're kids, is like a dirty man. A dirty, strong, almost like a foul mouth of man is kind of how we've been brought up to understand John the Baptist as. So he's a rugged man. And what's interesting though is, you know, I asked Noah, uh, my seven-year-old son, I asked him last week, I don't know if they're a week ahead of us or what. You know, the kids are advanced. You know, they're, they're going ahead of us. But I said, Noah, what are you, were you discussing in your little circle there? And he goes, I was talking about this. They were talking about this guy who eats bugs and, and he's kind of weird, you know. And I'm like, oh, John the Baptist. He's like, yeah, that guy. 
And so we get this picture of who he was in our head, and it's it's in the scriptures. It's not just made up. But what we need to understand is if we look at the culture of where he grew up in the desert wilderness, it wasn't uncommon. Other people were were wearing the the animal skins, and other other people were having locusts. Other people were having the honey. It wasn't just John, some freak in the wilderness. Okay, so let's get that established that there were other people doing it. And then that's something I didn't. I'm a pastor's kid, and I, I didn't really understand that very much. I just thought he was some weirdo mentioned in the scriptures. But no, there were other people doing this in the desert wilderness, and we can understand that even to this day that that's actually happening. So it's important for us to see he's a rugged man, uh, but also he was a priest by birth. Both his his parents were Levites, which the tribe of Levi, they were the tribe that all the priests of, of the Jews came from. So it's important for us to get that. He was a Nazarite by appointment, so he also had very strict vows that he lived by as a devout Nazarite, that kind of like uh, a Jew on steroids. I mean, he was like a, a very devout man who kept the law very intently. But he was also a prophet by calling. God called him to be a prophet and to speak words of truth, whether people wanted to hear him or not. Or not. As a matter of fact, people that call themselves prophets today, it's kind of interesting. They call themselves prophets, but it's like they get patted on the back and encouraged when they prophesy. But if you look at Scripture, prophets were, were, were kicked out of society. Prophets were on the fringes speaking in the culture. So this man was a prophet by calling, and it's not a, a good calling to have. So we see this man as a, as a rugged man, a, a cousin of Jesus, but also uh, John the author is interesting. The author of this gospel was John the Baptist's disciple first. Some of you might not realize that, but other rabbis had their own disciples. And the man that wrote this book of the Bible was John the Baptist's disciple. So it's important for us to get that because remember, John the Baptist had Jewish roots, right? He was a Levite, a Nazarite. So when you read this book, then you understand a lot of the Old Testament references that John gives. Because he got a lot of them from his mentor, which was John the Baptist. And so explains a lot of our Old Testament references here. And also, the man, who was he? Well, if you look at Isaiah 43, he was the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prophecy from Isaiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before John the Baptist came, Isaiah wrote about him coming from the desert wilderness, coming from this place, being a voice crying in the wilderness about the coming Messiah. That's power. You can argue all you want, but you can't argue that. That is a powerful statement. And so we see he was the fulfillment of prophecy. So we saw him kind of as a man, this rugged man, a Levite, Nazarite, and a prophet. Now let's look at his mission. What was his purpose? And for that, we can look in John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. We can see the purpose of John the Baptist. Why did God have him on the earth? Verse 6 says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. So what was his mission? What was his purpose? We can take these verses and kind of go step by step if we want to look at this passage and just see different words that jump out of, at us. And first of all, he was a man. 
Now you might say that's obvious, Tim, really? Yes, he was a man. But it's important to note that he was a man because when the gospel is people are called to share the gospel, people are called to proclaim the great word of God, it takes a man or a woman to do it. It takes a voice. So we have a voice, this man who was called by God, and then we see that he was also sent. He was sent from God. Now your pastor up here, Pastor Gary, when he gets up here, some of you might think he's the national spokesman for Bluebell or and or the LSU Tigers, right? I mean, he doesn't go along without mentioning one of those two. And you think he's the spokesperson, right? Well, John the Baptist, a little, little, little bit further, a little more authorized, he is the spokesperson for the Messiah. He had the stamp of approval by God Himself to speak for Jesus, to speak to others about the light that was coming. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness. He was also a voice. We saw in Isaiah 43, but also if you look at the fulfillment in verse 23 of this chapter, he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Here he goes back to the Old Testament. I'm the voice, I'm the voice. And when I think of that, I don't think of the show. Some of you think of the show and you hear The Voice. Some of you still watch that thing. I don't know. The Voice. We used to watch it back in the day. But uh, The Voice. I don't think of that. I think of this. Now, some of you are like, what? How do you think of Dr. J when you think of The Voice? Now, first of all, for those that are friends of mine in this room, you knew that someday in the 11 years I've been in this church that I would work Dr. J into a sermon. That's my man right there, Dr. J. I grew up watching him in Philly back in the day. I'm four or five years old playing basketball, just watching this man tear people apart. And so this guy, he comes in, and I'm, you know, I'm from a family. My dad's a pastor, as I said. I got four, our, our four kids growing up. We didn't have money, didn't have nice seats. We'd be up in what they call the nosebleed seats watching the game. And we'd come in there into the arena, and it was this kind of dark, dingy arena, kind of like Madison Square Garden. And uh, we're up at the top, and we hear this voice come on the loudspeaker. And this voice is one that's unmistakable. Nobody knew, or at least I know I didn't, my friends didn't know what this guy looked like. But when he started announcing the starting five of the Sixers, with Dr. J being the fifth one coming out of the lineup and coming onto the court, it was unmistakable. He'd say something like this. And now, to introduce to you the fifth starter, Julius Irving. And he just dragged that name out just to really put in the opponent's heart. Guess who you're about to face? And he just dragged it out. I butchered it, but it was amazing when it was in, in person. But it was a voice. And nobody really knew what the guy looked like but it was his voice speaking of this man and these men who are about to do crazy stuff on the court. But John, John was a voice. But John was a voice of someone who would come, who had come, and was about to take the place of a dying world and give his life so that we could have new life. He was the voice, the ultimate voice, announcing the arrival of the Messiah. So we have this voice, and then we also have a witness, and we think about the voice and the witness, and we think about our title of our series, Come and See. You have to realize there is no better witness 
to say, come and see, than this man. If we're going to say, come and see, come and see, come and see, it's John the Baptist. That's what his life was about. Come and see. So he was a witness. And it's interesting, this word witness is used to refer to John the Baptist 14 times in this book alone. Other Gospels call him John the Baptist, but John himself, his disciple, calls him John the Witness. We might want to change our expression about him because that's who he was. He was John the Witness. Witness to what? Witness to the light. Witness to the Messiah. In his sermon on this topic, John Piper uh, identifies the word not. He was not that light in verse 8. The reason he stresses this little three-letter word is to draw attention to the fact that it's not about how amazingly eloquent we are or how philanthropic we are or how we assist those in need or other good things we do. The reality is it's not about us at all and it wasn't about John at all. It was all about the light. The light, capital L, Jesus Christ. And he was sent to bear witness of this light. Bearing witness is to literally show that something exists or is true. John was living to show that Jesus existed. You as a church, you as God's people, you should exist, the body of Christ, to show that Jesus is real. That He's alive. And that He still lives inside of us. And that as a church, as we care for others, and as we do good things to show who we are in Christ, that the world sees that and looks to Jesus, not to us. So his goal was to increase Jesus' fame. Even in John 3.30, he says, He must increase and I must decrease. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, A Christian should so shine in his life that a person could not live with him a week without knowing the Gospel. I imagine someone couldn't be with John more than five minutes or maybe five seconds and not hear something about the Gospel or about the light. So we looked at the man and the mission. Now let's look at the memory. What was he remembered for? And one of the most popular things, of course, in his name, John the Baptist, that he baptized the Son of God. Jesus Christ comes to him and he says, man, I am not worthy to be baptizing you. But Jesus said, let it be done to fulfill Scripture. And so he baptizes Jesus and he sees the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And he has that opportunity to baptize. So that's one of the main things he was remembered for. He was also remembered, can be remembered as a man of boldness. Look at uh, chapter 1 there, John, verse 19. He was a man of boldness. Erwin McManus in the book Barbarian Way says he had no patience for domesticated religionists who were drowning in their own self-righteousness. Verse 19, let's look at that. This is the witness of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny and confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They said to them, then to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. He was bold. The Jews, see this here? The Levites, the Jews, they heard about John the Baptist. They knew his history. They send people out to see him out in the wilderness. Send people out. Check him out. Ask him some questions. We can't miss the fact that 
They asked about Elijah. What's that about? Why is Elijah thrown in there? So Elijah, in God's Word, back in the Old Testament, Elijah was a prophet who was taken up into heaven. He didn't see death. And so the Israelites and the Jews were always looking for Elijah. Like, is he coming back? He never died. Is he going to return? And so in here, they're thinking, maybe this is Elijah. Come back to us. And so John very clearly says, no, that's not me. That's not me. But John was very uh, bold. He spoke prophetically into religion and culture. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We can see an example of this. He spoke prophetically and boldly into religion and culture. Verse 7 of Matthew chapter 3 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Pretty bold. You brood of vipers. His winnowing fork in his, in his hand, this sharp sickle that he's coming to chop down and cut off the people that don't trust in God. This is a bold man speaking bold words. But he not only spoke into religion, but he also spoke into culture. If you know the times back then, King Herod was in power. And King Herod was a man who did whatever he wanted. Obviously, if you look at his life, he took his brother's wife. This man's like, I want to have her. She's mine. I'm the king. I'll do whatever I want. Takes his brother's wife. Guess who speaks to him about it? John the Baptist confronts him. Now, I don't know about you if you know anything about history and confronting a king with bad news. You might be ready for some problems, eventually, uh, you know, possibly death. But he doesn't care. He speaks boldly into King Herod's face, which gets him thrown into jail, which we'll pick up that story a little later. But he not only was he bold, though, he was a unique combination of bold and humble. Most bold people, you know, you think about it, especially college students looking over here, you think of someone who's bold, you think probably obnoxious, right? A little annoying. They're bold. They're just always talking about something that they know, and, and they're bold and in your face. But he had this unique ability to be bold and humble at the same time. Look at verse 24 of chapter 1 in John. Verse 24 says, Now when they had been sent from the Pharisees, they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He's like, I'm not even worthy to unstrap this guy's dirty sandal. You don't know him. He's the one. He's the light. He was a humble man. I'm sure all of us can take maybe his lead to think about humility and what that might look like in our lives. And even if you go further into the passage, you go further and see that in verse 29, he recognized Jesus coming toward him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. 
takes away the sin of the world. He points to the Lamb. Again, notice an Old Testament reference. The Lamb that would be slain for the sins of those who believed by the priest, right? So we see John as a bold man. We see him as a humble man. But he was also a man of purpose. Turn over to uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. He was a man of purpose. Verse 25 of John 3, There arose therefore a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness. Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Notice verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because, uh, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, and so this joy of mine has been made full. Now I want you to pause for a moment and use your imagination. Some of you are easier, you know, that, that comes more easily than others. So some of you might have to work really hard. Try using your imagination in the next few minutes. I want you to imagine that you, uh, were invited by a to be part of a wedding, their wedding. And you're really excited. Maybe some of you aren't so excited, but either way, you're going to be in the wedding, right? You're just thinking dollar signs, i got to do this, i got to go get a tux. You get a tux, you get a dress, whatever it is, and you're excited to be at the wedding. You show up, you're in the party, you're matched up with someone to walk down the aisle, right? You're matched up and you're, you're, you're getting ready to go down the aisle ahead of the bride, right? The groomsman's up there, or, um, the groom is up there, and you're the groomsman or the bridesman, and you're walking down the aisle. And as you walk down the aisle, this is what you do. You start checking out the audience, and you're like, hey, I see you, all right, yeah, what's up? I know you. And then you grab someone's phone. You grab their phone out of their hand, it's ready because it's already taking pictures, and you start taking selfies with the crowd. And you're just taking selfies. Some of you are shaking your head, and you're like, you know you wanted to do it someday when you were in, the, in a wedding. But... You're taking pictures, you're, you're just hamming it up, you get all the way down the aisle, you throw the phone back to the person, you stand up at the front. Then the minister sets up, the bride comes down, even as the bride's walking down, you're still like, hey, I got them together, right? And you're just kind of doing your thing, drawing attention to yourself. The moment comes where the man, the, the dad's supposed to give her away, and, and what do you do? Uh, excuse me, sir, excuse, uh, I got something to say. What? Yeah, I got something to say. I got these two together. I think I should give them away, right? I brought them together. They wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be husband and wife if it wasn't for me. And you continue this ridiculousness even on into the reception. You go to the reception and, and you're pointing out, it's me, it's me, I got them together. Did you hear that I got them together? Did you hear this is why they're husband and wife? And then you start walking with them. Up in the Northeast, you know, the, the bride and groom, they walk from table to table. But unlike here, they actually have like a bag of money with them. And people just stuff this bag with money. It's like some of you are like, I want to get married in the Northeast. But, uh, but they just start stuffing the bag with money. And imagine you walking with them. And you're walking around. You're poking your head between their arms like, hey, it was me. I got them together, right? And you're, it's all about you. And you just continue that on and on. How many of you are thinking, Tim, if that was you, you got it. I mean, I've been called an idiot. But that's like capital all letters idiot, Right? But the crazy thing is this, John is pointing out in John 3, he's saying, look, if you are invited to a wedding, if you are a, a, a groomsman, you are pointing to the groom. 
But so many of us, and I know me, I'm guilty of this too. The fact is, so many of us, in our relationship with Jesus, it's about us. Taking selfies, doing service projects, doing this. It's about me. Oh, I just feel so blessed. And using words that are churchy words just to make yourself look good. And John's saying, no. If you're pointing to the groom, then point to the groom. Don't take selfies on his wedding day. Up in front of everybody, down the aisle. And this is what John is saying. I am just part of the wedding party, but my voice, I'm excited. He talks about being excited with every fiber of his being. He wanted people to know about the groom. How about you? You want people to know about the groom in the way you act. But then lastly, we see that he paid the ultimate sacrifice. John the Baptist not only was a man of purpose, but he sacrificed. Remember where we left him? He was... He was confronting Herod, right? That didn't go well. He didn't die at that moment. He was thrown into jail to sit in jail. And so he's sitting in jail, and you can find that story in Matthew 14. As he sits in jail, he's uncertain about his future. He hears the amazing things Jesus is doing. He hears all about it. He sends word to Jesus through his disciples in Matthew 11.3. Matthew 11.3, he states, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's kind of weird, huh? Didn't we just say that he was the one who pointed to the light? Didn't we just say all these things? Wasn't John the one who heralded Jesus coming? Wasn't he the one who baptized Jesus, watched the Spirit descend on him like a dove? Isn't he the, the one who claimed that he couldn't even strap Jesus' sandals and now he's asking, are you the one? What's going on in, in, in John's mind right now while he sits in jail? In order to understand that, we need to go to the history. John was a Jew, right? John the Baptist was a Jew by birth. And what he saw in the Old Testament Scriptures was a Messiah who would come and he would basically set up shop and take over and institute his kingdom right then. He would also not put up with wicked sinners He wouldn't be like Jesus. He's seeing Jesus and hearing stories of Jesus hanging out with those who were drunks, those who were were prostitutes. And he hears these stories and he's like, this doesn't fit my Jewish brain. Where's the judgment? Where's the anger? And John sits in jail wondering, is this the man that I, I was told I should prophesy about? And so here he is sitting there feeling abandoned feeling alone. And so there's a passage of Scripture where Jesus brings His disciples in, brings John the Baptist's disciples in and says, tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the Gospel preached to them. But He left off part of that prophecy that Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. So, Jesus comes to His friend's rescue, right? He saves the day, right? He speaks the Word and the jail doors fly open. John the Baptist is free. Reunited together, right? Cousins, reunited. No. You see, the passage that He left off of that prophecy when Jesus was speaking to John the Baptist, He left off the prophecy that said the prisoner will go free. And John would know by him leaving that part off of that prophecy that he was not going to go free. 
that would give John courage to face his last days, but not hope of release. So what in the world do we do with that? Because if you look at Matthew 14, his end was Herodias being able to be given anything in the kingdom of King Herod. And what did she ask for? John's head on a platter. John's head was chopped off and he was murdered. And martyred for his faith. And that's where that's the end. This is what what do we do with that? How does scripture just leave us there? Why isn't there a happy ending? And as I studied this passage, it was undeniable undeniable fact for me preparing for today is that the result of being a witness is not comfort, it's not convenience, and it certainly isn't knowing all the answers for why God does things. Just look at his life. I mean, can I get a better answer than that, Jesus? I mean, you speak a word and I'm out. Nope. You stay. Erwin McManus also says, is it possible that the transforming power of Jesus has been lost because we keep inviting people to step into the comfort, safety, and security of Jesus Christ? The Gospel that we are a part of is not about security. It's not about comfort. It's not coming in this church to feel, yes, you should feel love and you should feel community here. That's not what it's all about. It's not all about your safety and comfort. If you look throughout Scripture, outside of John the Baptist's life, you see one person after another who was killed or tortured for their faith. Go outside of Scripture and look. Nate Saint and his five friends who gave their lives when we celebrated a 55th anniversary of their death this past week. You look at Bonhoeffer who lived during Nazi Germany who gave his life for his faith. You look at Martin Luther King who we're going to celebrate tomorrow together who gave his life for gospel unity. Over and over again you see that the gospel, hand in hand, there's suffering. It's not all rosy. There's not always a happy ending. Now, ultimately, there is a happy ending because Jesus reigns. His kingdom has come and will come because of the Messiah, but it's not all comfort. It's not all safety. And as we wrap this up, I really want us to understand that. To embrace the Gospel in mission for our lives and as a lifestyle often brings suffering pain and difficulty and it's a glorious thing it's an amazing thing so the last verse i want us to look at is matthew eleven eleven. jesus is speaking about john speaking about his life and here's what he says truly i say to you among those born of women there is no, risen no one greater than john the baptist yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he well that's a weird verse is this an endorsement of John? Was he great or not? I don't. What's he saying here? Well, here, here it is. Yes, John was great. But what he's saying is there's something greater, which is Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. He's not saying necessarily just because the words say you'll be greater. He's saying what you have inside of you, if you embrace the gospel, what you have inside of you is greater than John the Baptist. John spoke looking ahead to Jesus, right? We sit, stand, speak, looking back at the completed work of the Messiah on the cross. 
So our message is greater even than the one John got to share because it was hopeful. We get to look back as a fact of what happened. Hopefully we can be encouraged by that. So, we have the completed work of the Messiah. We have the completed Gospel. And we are called to live it out and speak it out. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before You thankful. Thankful for men like John the Baptist who gave their lives to speak a message of hope, speak a message of salvation. I pray that we will be encouraged and challenged to think about our lives and be convicted maybe of living a life that's focused on comfort and security and safety. Instead of living a life that is exciting and and also even dangerous sometimes with the things that You call us to. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know You, that they will understand they can trust You right now in their seat. That they can call upon Your name, the true light that came into the world to forgive their sins. pray that You encourage us, challenge us, push us from what You've had us read and study today that will go throughout our week. Encouraged to speak to speak the words of the Gospel. In Your name we pray. Amen.